You are listening to the Asia-Pacific Agri-Food Innovation Week podcast. I'm Graham Brown, founder of Pitch Media Asia. In this series, we feature leaders from across the region to investigate the growing role of technology in building an efficient, resilient, and sustainable agri-food supply chain that can deliver fresh, nutritious food to today's fast-changing consumer market. To register for Singapore's annual Asia-Pacific Agri-Food Innovation Week, being held from the 20th to the 22nd of November, visit us at www.agrifoodinnovation.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Asia-Pacific Agri-Food Innovation Week podcast. I'm your host, Joe Gan, senior reporter at AgFunder News. Today, we will be talking about new methods of food production that could boost food security in Asia's cities. Singapore has defined key threats and opportunities relating to its food security and self-sufficiency. Currently, it produces less than 10% of its own food supply relying on global imports for the other staggering 90% to feed its population's nutritional needs. With a growing urban population and less than 1% of its land currently in use for agriculture, the Singapore government has set an ambitious challenge to invest in new technologies and distribution models. And those models will enable it to produce 30% of its own food by 2030, with a special focus on three pillars vertical farming, aquaculture, and cell-based proteins to provide fresh vegetables, fruit, and protein sources. This initiative and the associated investment to create an agri-food innovation hub for the region has cleared an exciting path for agri-food tech innovators to break through and scale solutions that will deliver cost-effective, high-yield, nutritious, and sustainable food systems. In the episode today, we will have three Singapore-based startups representing each of those focus pillars, cell-based, indoor farming, and sustainable agriculture. We'll be joined by Kai E. Ling, PhD, Chief Scientific Officer and co-founder of Shiok Meats. Also speaking to us is Ankesh Shara, who is founder and director of Agrimax Ventures, who is a shareholder of Verti Veggies. Last up, we have John Diener, who is Chief Operating Officer of AgriProtein Singapore. We're joined now by Kai Ling from Shok Meats, and you know, it's the first cell-based clean meat company in Singapore and Southeast Asia. And you know, um, wow, I'm Singaporean myself, and I love the name Shok. In Singapore and Malay, means fantastic and delicious. And their mission is to bring delicious, clean and healthy seafood and meats by harvesting from cells instead of animals. So imagine your shrimp cocktail, your shumai, hokkien mee, having shrimp that never was alive in the first place. Well, can you correct me on that if I'm wrong? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me today. Um, I'm Kai from Shook Meats. Yeah, that's kind of true. But not really true. So we do take cells from a living being. Um, it's not that it's dead. It's just that we kind of grow it in a greenhouse. It's kind of a cultivated. So instead of like, you know, for plants, you take off a piece of the leaf and you put it in a greenhouse in the right conditions to grow. Now we take cells from the animal. And for us, when we talk about meat, it's fat, fat and muscle. And so that's what we take out from the shrimp or prawn. 
and then put it in the right conditions. It's very own greenhouse with with its nutrients, and then we grow it into meat we eat. Yeah, and um, I, I think it's really, really cool. I'd love to give it a try sometime, you know. And uh, Kai, you know, you're chief scientific officer and co-founder of the company. You know, she's one half of it. But tell us, you know, how what made you do the jump from, decide to do the jump from being, you know, uh, a biologist? Mm-hmm, yes. And then diving off the deep end into starting your own company. Yeah, so the Shook Meets was started a year ago by me and Sandhya. Both of us are stem cell biologists, and we've done this before, but for medical purposes. And it takes a really long time to actually have an impact on anyone. But this same technology now, we can actually use for food. And this is really important because... Now we don't worry about food, not so much. In Singapore, we actually don't really know where our food comes from, not so much. But in 50 years, it's predicted that we're not going to have enough food to feed everyone. So that's why we need to start now, because the technology is there, but it's always been used in very small scale and very expensive, which you can't do for food. You need lots of it and it needs to be cheap enough. So that's why we gone into this. We wanted to make a real impact for people. I still want to eat meat. I don't want to have come to a point in a decade, or, well, maybe 20, 30 years where I have to make choice and I don't have meat to eat anymore. And for me, that's really sad. I want everyone to have the option to eat what they want to, but in a cleaner and healthier way. No, wow. No, that's a great answer. And this kind of brings us to our next question, next question, because Singapore has kind of focused on three types of tech, indoor self, cell-based and aquaculture, you know, to hit their um, food security goals by, you know, 2030, the whole 30 by 30 goal. Mm-hmm. And what I find interesting is that um, Shok Meats combines, you know, two of those three tech. I mean, it's cell-based and a little bit of well, a lot of aquaculture, actually. Mm-hmm. And, you know, tell us about those two sectors and, you know, your role in achieving Singapore's goals. Yeah, so Singapore has limited land. We never really had the space to have so much prawn farms or fish farms because we're limited in space. But with technology like cell base, or now we want to call it cultivated technology, we can do it vertically and we can do this when it's at scale. It looks like breweries, but instead of making beer or chocolate, we're making meats now. And that's very doable for Singapore and especially for high-end products. That's what Singapore excels at. We sell, we bring quality and you know, higher price and food safety to um, products we make in Singapore. Yeah, and, you know, Singapore has a lot of hungry, hungry people, hungry for the shrimp, and that population is going to keep rising. And this is where, you know, your efforts would tie in with the nation's goals and, you know, goals for sustainability and self-sufficiency. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love this uh, little ag- anecdote that, you know, you want to bring your costs of your dumplings because you're kind of franchising into, you know, not only making the shrimp, but, you know, making food items. Mm-hmm. And I love how you it used to cost $5,000 to come up with your first, um, was it six or eight dumplings? Eight dumplings. And your goal is to bring it down to $50 per kilogram. And mm-hmm. how is that uh, journey coming along, you know? Tell me yeah. about it. 
So that's our technological, I mean, our R&D goals for the next 12 to 15 months before we hit the market because we can do it. It's just that it's so expensive and not everyone is going to be able to eat this. So we're working with a lot of partners, people who are in the industry, people who have been doing food ingredients to try and bring them together and doing in-house development for our making this nutrient broth. So that's the most expensive part of the process, what we feed the cells. Because traditionally, that has all been made for pharmaceutical and medical purposes. And now we need to translate it. So even though it's very clean, you can use it for medical purposes, it doesn't mean you should eat it every day. There's different regulations and different safety rules for making food. So that's what we're working on. And that's people who we're looking to work with and are working with. Great. And, you know, another little thing popped into my mind that mm -hmm. your shrimp are shrimp that will never swim, except in the, you know, nutrient solution. But mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, um, you guys, Shock Meats is a really young company. I think they're barely about a year old, mm -hmm. you know, and they've already come up with a prototype. You know, they've even had people taste uh, dumplings, which I think is a really amazing feat. Thank you. And, you know, in the next three to five years, Wow. Um, you know, I'm expecting stratosphere rate kind of growth. Um, where do you see ourselves, you know, in the next three to five years? Yeah, so we're aiming to be in one to two high-end restaurants starting in Singapore. And by 2021, once we get our price down to $50 a kilogram, so that will still be a premium, but at least it's much more affordable. And by five to seven years, we're hoping to get into supermarkets. So everyone consumers like you and me we can go to the supermarkets and buy a pack of you know minced shrimp ready for us to cook whatever we want or maybe siumai or you know dumplings and you know prawn balls anything you like and you know this brings in our next point because you need funding it's not easy for a startup to get off the ground you know hit the ground running without some help and i'm looking here that you know you have really attracted some really high profile attention from, let's say, VC firms, you know, ARA VC is one of them and big venture, big idea ventures. Mm -hmm. And we're talking funding of around the figure of 5 million, I'm, I'm guessing, I don't know. Yeah, so we closed mm -hmm. our seed funding this mm -hmm. year in April. Um, that was about 4.7 million US 4. dollars. 7. Yes. Um, and then right now, we're actually in the talks for raising our Series A. So why we're starting to raise so early? Because we wanted to set aside the money for R&D, 5 million, or almost 5 million for R&D. But we already needed to start working on our manufacturing food production pilot plant because it takes about 12 to 18 months to set up in Singapore. So we need licenses and we need to start renting the place before we can even start getting licenses to build the actual facility. So it's a long process. Um, so that's one of the challenges that we want to um, get started on. Fantastic, you know, and I'm looking at, um, well, the key issues that startups would have, you know, they need to find solutions, collaborations, distribution models, which we've talked about. But the next thing is consumer engagement. How are you going to sell your dumplings to Singaporeans who, you know, have very, we have very complex tastes. And like you said, we're not even sure where most of our food comes from. So what if they know that, you know, the shrimp that you produce 
are from cells from other animals and were never alive, you know, how are you going to, oh wait, I take that back, they, they are sort of alive because they're cells, but, <laughs> but how are you going to convince the everyday Singaporean to pick up a pack and eat it? Yeah, so this technology is mostly attracting the younger generation, us and even younger people who are caring about sustainability and their health. And for us, while we're growing in the lab, we can know exactly what we put in and we control the whole process. And really for seafood right now, we really don't know how contaminated it is with all the chemicals, all the... Um, microplastics and you know with farms it's even worse with chemicals you need to use so what we're trying to what we do is we go out and share what we do on a regular basis and um, make sure I mean once we chat with most of the consumers they're actually really keen and excited and want to know where they can eat it but unfortunately they have to be a bit patient for now but especially for Asians like in Singapore people are very concerned about health and that's where we have a lot of control over. Yep, uh, I really like that point that you made because we we know about um, there there are a few documentaries out there about you know prawns, the prawn industry being mm-hmm. riddled with you know scandals and talks of slavery. People who don't leave boats for for years, they're just yeah. peeling shrimp for a living, and they're paid very very low wages. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the you know positive social impacts that I think your company could bring. You're cutting out um, the amount of effort being need, human labor needed to produce meat and rather relying on smarts. Yeah, definitely. Great. So tell me about, you know, why, what is an important feature of the startup's ecosystem? You know, what sort of resources when you were starting up you wish you had or you know, in the future, when more startups come out, Mm -hmm. what kind of support do you think is important for a new company? Yeah, even right now, a year later, I hear people wanting to come into the cell-based meat field. But a lot of problem is that most of the early infrastructure we need is biotech related. And that's always associated with the universities and academic institutes. And that's quite difficult for a startup to make use of because of all the issues with your IP technology and royalties. So having a good infrastructure, like a common co-working, but for like biotech work, lab space, um, incubators would be really helpful for early on startups. And for us now, even as we're going into the manufacturing phase, if there is a co-working pilot, you know, where you have all our brewing tanks really where we can rent for each project paces by time, that will be so helpful for all of us. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, you know, when you're talking about support, we're talking about innovation. And coming up in November, we have the Asia PAC Agri-Food Innovation Week, you know, gathering everyone under one roof. What sort of key outcomes and benefits are you hoping for? So last year, we were also there at Rethink. Um, Sandhya, my co-founder, CEO, she presented there. And we actually met our biggest um, uh, seat 
investor there, um, Henry from Monday Nissen. He was a great partner we have and we've been working with them since then. So for this year, we hope to continue to share the message and meet other strategic partners who might be interested to partner with us for our Series A and manufacturing phase and also to attract, you know, um, talent to come to Singapore or even locals to join us in our venture to continue building shop meets. Great. You know, let's imagine, you know, what is, let's just think big. What, what would be a crazy moonshot idea? What if you could cook up a piece of tech that you wish exist, would exist and they would improve the lives of everyone? What would it be? For now, what I think would be the most important for us is to bring down the cost of the technology. And what is the most expensive part is what we are feeding the cells. So usually when you grow the whole animal, you have you know just pellets, diets that you can just feed them for cheap. So I want this technology to be able to translate what we have been using, like food pellets for animals, but then you make it into a solution that we can feed ourselves. So it won't be so extravagant, I mean, so expensive to feed them anymore. Great. I love that idea. And, you know, if you're a tech startup with that solution, we want to hear from you. Thank you so much for your time. You're speaking to Kai Ling from Shilk Meats. It's been lovely learning about your startup. Thank you. I've been to an insect farm that used black soldier flies. It's hard to ignore all those flies. It's like an apocalypse, you know, dozens <laughs> of flies flying at you. And, but the thing is, it, you know, apocalyptic side to side, you know, it could be they're not here to mark uh, humanity's downfall. You know, they're here to save us. And mm -hmm. I'm joined now by John Dina, who is Chief Operating Officer at AgriProtein Singapore. He's coming to us from uh, Tokyo. And first up, John, thanks for joining, thanks for joining us today. I just want to know, you know, tell us more about AgriProtein and its uh, operations, because I know that they're based in Cape Town, South Africa, but um, tell us more about your role in Singapore. Right. So thanks for having me. Um, and uh, just to give you some some background, so I'm the chief operating officer at AgriProtein, so I look after our research and development, technical development, our engineering operations, uh, sales and marketing, and software development. So pretty much everything except for finance and HR. Um, yep. Wow, okay. And um, can I ask, you know, why did AgriProtein hone in on Singapore? Yeah, so so uh, AgriProtein started about nine years ago in, uh, in the barn of um, uh, the founder's farm. And the company grew up in uh, in the Cape Town area and our prototype factory where we do our demonstration and, and process development is still is still in one of the suburbs of, uh, of Cape Town. But er earlier this year, we moved our global operating headquarters to Singapore for a number of reasons. One is uh, we wanted to have a, um, a global operating office that had direct flights to most of the major cities in the world and Singapore take that box. We wanted to be close to our uh, engineering office in Bangalore. Um, and so Singapore offered that as well. But we also needed to be in an environment where there was very good R&D uh, capabilities and, and um, 
uh, and uh, infrastructure that we could tap into. And so Singapore ticked all of those boxes quite uh, quite nicely. So it's been a good uh, a good opportunity for us to be able to to site our global operating and R and D headquarters there. I'm surprised you didn't mention the trash crisis that Singapore is experiencing right now. Some prediction, yeah, you know, too, yeah. we are an, the world's element. second. We are the world's second most densely populated city, and we'll run out of room in our landfill by 2035. And this is what uh, impresses me about my my home country. We like to plan ahead, and when we when I mentioned 2035, that we put in uh, we put in action a few goals, the the 30 by 30 goal by 2030. And tell us, you know, what can agri-protein do for Singapore to, you know, hit that sustainable goal of being self-reliant on food by the year 2030? Yeah, so there's a there's a number of areas where agri-protein fits really well into that uh, um, 30 by 2030 goal. Um, one is that uh, agri-protein is, you know, there's a number of black soldier fly companies out there, but agri-protein is the only one that's focused on mixed food waste. So, you know, the type of food waste that we deal in is, um, for example, you know, expired loaves of bread or ready-to-eat meals and so forth in the supermarket that have to be discarded, we can take all of that food waste. It's perfectly good food. And we take all of that and we we process it and then we feed it to our insects and we upcycle that food waste into a high quality protein and oil that can be used in livestock, aquaculture and 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 pet foods. Um, and so we 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 play a key role in a circular economy and, and the future has to be more circular. It's just not sustainable for us to continue you know, uh, at, at the rate that we're going, where approximately a third of all food that's produced is, ends up actually being wasted and not consumed. Um, and so for Singapore's goals, you know, we provide an opportunity for rather than this food waste going to landfill or downcycling, like going into biogas or other types of, of processes, we can upcycle it into a high quality protein. And those proteins can be used to offset fish meal and aquaculture diets, for example. So in Singapore, you know, you have a certain amount of um, sea bass grouper uh, farming uh, going on, um, and we can easily use our proteins in the nutrition for for the aquaculture farming that happens in Singapore. But also, Southeast Asia is one of the world's largest concentrations of aquaculture in general, and particularly marine aquaculture species, which require high protein in their diets. And we can be a key element in providing a uh, a more sustainable sustainable supply chain for the aquaculture industry and and you know Singapore is starting to play an increasingly important role in aquaculture in the region then the third area where we we uh, play into Singapore's goals is that, you know, insect farming is basically an indoor vertical farming kind of uh, operation, quite different from, you know, the the the, the farming of, um, you know, lettuce and things like that. But it is an indoor vertical farming system. And all of the research and development and engineering and technical design work that we're doing in Singapore is just building up the general capabilities in the, um, in the city 
to around vertical farming, automation, um, you know, heating, ventilation, uh, etc. So, you know, all the work that we do is is generally helping to build that kind of industry cluster in in Singapore. So we view ourselves as being a key a key player in a number of different perspectives for Singapore to try to achieve that goal. In addition to some of the interesting research and development work that we're doing with the research institutes in Singapore and and uh, and some of our own stuff. No, that's a great answer. And, you know, I'd just like to circle back to your second point when you talked about upcycling, because a lot of the black soldier fly startups I've spoken to, they mentioned that a lot of the nutrients are lost. And when we do not, uh, you know, we lose about 30% of our nutrients um, in the supply chain. And insect farming can be the answer to recapture those lost nutrients and return them to our food system in the form of quality proteins, oils, and fertilizer. And... I understand that you guys have a lot of products that, um, you know, are generated from BSF or black soldier flies. That's right. I mean, you know, our, our the protein that, that that we produce from the insect larvae is a very high quality protein. So, um, you know, it's very high in essential amino acids, particularly in lysine, which, you know, is the, the first limiting amino acid. Um, and in general, it's high in essential amino acids, higher in essential amino acids than non-essential amino acids. And that's what makes it a very high quality protein. And then if you look at the oil um, that we harvest from the insect larvae it's also a very high quality oil so it's particularly high in a fatty acid called lauric acid which is a medium chain triglyceride and there's two characteristics of lauric acid that make it interesting one is that it's very easily digestible so it doesn't require much further metabolism uh, can be absorbed directly into the uh, into the body's system uh, and used for energy very readily. So that means that it, it's a very very quick source of uh, energy availability. And the second um, the second benefit of lauric acid is there are forms of lauric acid which are um, antimicrobial and immunosupportive. So not only do you get a very high quality energy source, you also get an energy source that is uh, supporting the immune system and even functions against certain uh, negative microbes that might be in the gut and and so forth so it's 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 a multifunctional kind of um, multifunctional kind of product and then as you mentioned you know the what's left over after the insects have been eating the 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 food what's left over is called frass that frass actually makes for a very good um, uh, soil substrate that can replace peat in some cases and can be used in indoor vertical farming so it is very much part of a circular system whereby we can be taking in the food waste we're upcycling it into the protein the oil and the and the soil all of which can be used within uh, uh, within Singapore's um, uh, farming ecosystem and so on. There's other advanced products that we're working on um, that are made from uh, some of the elements of the the larval biomass as well. So there are certain bioactive ingredients, and we've got a research program going on with one of the research institutes here in Singapore, looking at specific um, uh, applications for those bioactive compounds, and those can provide additional uh, additional functional benefits. And we're working on on developing those products as well. So there's quite a lot that we can uh, that we can do with the with the insects and how they process the food and and uh and all of that fab you know if you can't beat it eat it yeah exactly. you know uh, <laughs> I, had, I had to say that and um 
which takes you know you're kind of banking uh, partnering with these insects and let, I'm I'm really astounded by the fact that um, in June last year you you raised over a hundred million dollars in equity and debt into your UK company and you know it's one of the largest capital raises on record for an insect farming company and without you know going uh, you know let's just talk about what sort of partnerships you've had with some companies in the region in Singapore and you know how they have helped you tap into our ecosystem yeah, so I mean, we had we had a very good fundraise last year, and and the success of that fundraise reflects the the nature of the technology that we've developed. I mean, we've been at this for nine years, and um, and we took a much more difficult approach than a lot of the other BSF companies, which are using you know predominantly brewers grains or single source materials. We decided to to take the circular economy approach and and go with mixed food waste. The challenge with mixed food waste is that it's much more complicated. It creates a lot of technology challenges to, to the system. And over these last nine years, we've spent a lot of time getting up that learning curve and overcoming those, um, those challenges. And uh, the fundraise that we had last year was a reflection of the fact that uh, people recognize that there's a huge barrier to entry to getting up that learning curve and that this is a highly sustainable model with a very interesting economic model because we get paid to take the feedstock that we take into our system. So not only do we earn revenues on selling the the, the protein and the oil, but we also earn revenues on taking the, the feedstocks that would otherwise go to, to landfill. So the economics of our business model are, are are quite attractive. And so based on you know based on the 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 engineering learning curve that we got up and then the the economics of the business, we were able to to have a successful fundraise. And how that plays into into Singapore, you know, I have to say the Economic Development Board made it easy for us to to come in. They were very, very helpful, very supportive. They connected us with rele relevant stakeholders in um, in Singapore, including the landlord. We're in we're in Science Park too. We found a perfect uh, office and laboratory, and um, they've been helping us to connect with the various research institutes and funders and other other uh, stakeholders in uh, uh, in Singapore, as well as the regulatory authorities, because it's a very new a very new industry, um, and we've also benefited from our joint venture partnerships. So we have a very interesting joint venture partnership in California, for example, with a strategic partner, um, and uh, they're they're a key business partner that we work with, and we're looking at um, dialogues with other joint venture partners around uh, around the, the the Asia Pacific region, um, and. And uh, and so forth. So you know, we we we've been working with a number of of different stakeholders, and then in Singapore, as we've looked to to finalize some of the engineering of our big factories, you know, we we've had to uh, look into you know even rocket science, for example. So with, there's a local team of computational fluid dynamics um, uh, uh, analysts, and we we hired that firm locally in Singapore to do some CFD work for us. Um, there's a a global um, uh, HVAC uh, uh, engineering firm and. They have an office in Singapore, and we've been working with them on some of our HVAC design and so on. So it's been um, uh, quite a lot of um, uh, partners that we've been interacting with in in Singapore. Great. Uh, thanks for your answer. And um, it sounds like you've got it pretty much figured out. Um, you, you have 
millions in funding, your solutions very broad-based. And which brings us to, to our next point. What sort of challenges do you face in you know, um, bringing your tech to full scale in Singapore? And how would you engage with consumers? Would, for example, you know, some people wouldn't eat bugs, but would you eat meat that ate bugs? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting um, it's an interesting you question you raise. And, you know, people talk about um, human consumption of insects, uh, insects in general. And you start to see some some progress there around, you know, crickets and grasshoppers and so forth. Um, and I, I, I do think that over the next, you know, five years, there's going to be a broader consumer acceptance for it. Um, at the end of the day, the insects are an animal like any other animal that we eat. I mean, they look different, um, but, you know, insects and, and crustaceans, for example, uh, uh, from a, an evolutionary perspective, aren't that different, really. Um, you know, shrimp are kind of like an aquatic insect and they have a lot of similarities. So um, so I think, you know, it, it'll be it'll be a while before there is consumer acceptance of this. But there's no reason why consumers shouldn't um, uh, shouldn't be accepting of uh, the animals that they eat eating insects because it's part of the natural diet. If you look at chickens, chickens do extremely well on black soldier fly larvae because it's part of what they eat in the in the wild. If you look at you know salmon, uh, salmon start off as freshwater um, uh, riverine fish, and you know if flies and other insects are a big part of their diet, they do extremely well on on the black soldier fly meal because it's very close to the amino acid profile of what they generally naturally eat in the wild. And so from that perspective, um, it's quite natural that this that this uh, um, uh, th that these products are used as a feed ingredient for some of these species, because it's very close to to what they eat in nature. Pets pets also do very well on uh, uh, on black soldier fly um, protein and and oil as well because they also eat insects naturally. So I think it's I think it's you know really getting back closer to to a natural diet which is very healthy for for the animals. And you look at, for example, in the United States, it's quite trendy now for people to have, um, um, you know, chicken as pets. And uh, uh, one of the the, the most coveted um, feeds to give to your to your chicken is actually the whole dried larvae from the black soldier fly. And uh, uh, that's a market that we tap into as well. And it's it's already accepted in that kind of application. And so I think it's it, it shouldn't be an issue for people to also then accept it as an ingredient, for example, in aquaculture diets and 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 things like that the bigger the bigger challenge i see would be for for people to start you know accepting it as part of a human human uh, ingredient um but again you know we're not focused on that segment but i do see that as as a potential segment in the in the future as people just get generally more comfortable with insect proteins as an ingredient Great. And that kind of brings us to our last point um john you'll be speaking you, you're one of the key you're one of the key speakers at the um, upcoming Asia-Pacific Agri-Food Innovation Week. So all sorts of startups, you know, from investors to, to well, people on the ground are going to be there. What sort of key outcomes and benefits are you hoping for? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it's, um, you know, it's one of the big events in the industry. And, and um, for me, it's it's 
really interesting to get a, a general feel for what's going on. You know, I'm pretty plugged into the agri-food uh, tech sector in general, but um, but then when you actually you know hear it from the people who are doing it and and uh, um, and you've got all of these people in one location, it's pretty exciting to be able to 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 network with all the people who come in for this. And you know, Singapore is really pretty well established now in the global agri-food tech landscape as one of the one of the key hubs. And I just see it picking up more and more momentum with some of the accelerators that are now coming in. And then we've got you know aquaculture accelerator and so forth. So, you know, I see the momentum building significantly around Singapore is probably one of the best hubs globally for, for agri-food tech. And, um, you know, the conference for me is both interesting to hear what people are speaking about in some of the panels, but also it's just the opportunity to network because it's attracting a lot of, you know, key um, uh, key opinion leaders and, and, and startup leaders and so forth from around the world to come here. So it's always great to to meet up with people and and um, you know hear firsthand what's going on and and uh, and also for people to see what Singapore has available. I mean, it's probably one of the best general sites in the world for for doing this kind of work and has one of the most acute challenges of 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 any location in terms of food security and food technology. So it's it's kind of the ideal environment for um, for developing this industry anyway. Wow. That, that that was a whole lot of insight, and I'd like to thank you, John. John, that was John Dina, Chief Operating Officer of AgriProtein Singapore, putting the haste on waste, cashing in on trash. You know, um, and thank you so much for your insight. Thanks. Let's kick off things with a definition of vertical farming. It's the practice of producing food and medicine in vertically stacked layers, inclined surfaces and or other structures. And, you know, it's been heralded for its space-saving tech. And, you know, joining us now is um, Ankesh Shara, from, uh, who is founder and director of Agrimax Ventures, and he's also one of the shareholders in Verti Veggies. Thank you, Joseph. Nice to be here. Great. No, it's fantastic to, to have you here and to speak to you. So tell us, you know, Singapore has chosen these particular three technologies, you know, indoor, uh, indoor farming, cell-based technologies and aquaculture for special focus and investments as pillars to achieving food security, the 30 by 30 goal. Tell us about your sector, you know, vertical farming and how, you know, it can achieve Singapore's food security goals. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um uh, the Singapore has taken a very wide um, uh, way of looking at this objective. Now, they're looking at uh, three main pillars to be able to feed into the food and nutrition security of its population. Um, we have uh, fruits and vegetables, like you said, and then you have alternative proteins, and then you have aquaculture. Uh, we are naturally restrained by our land size here in Singapore. And I think for me, uh, the reason I got into the space was because um, there is a, if you look at the market here and if you look at the food we consume, um, we are, there's a problem that needs to be solved in terms of um, the quality of the food that's available and the price point that we pay for it. Uh, and for me, that's the biggest disparity that needs to be addressed. And that's why I feel like uh, uh, vertical farming and bringing the food production closer to the point of consumption can uh, remove a lot of the ill effects of um, climate change and unsustainable supply chains. 
and also be able to um, bring uh, food uh, which is more fresher, free of pesticides and uh, free of um, contamination. Fantastic. So when someone says vertical farming, the first thing that crops into my mind is tall, tall buildings. And the, one of the tallest uh, housing, just housing buildings in Singapore is 50 stories high. So tell us about, this is what I'm super curious about. How do you tie your tech with all these tall urban structures in Singapore? Right, absolutely. So for me, like the food traceability is extremely important, right? So mm -hmm. we started off our um, business with uh, container farms. Now, the problem with container farms was that uh, you can only scale up to a certain extent. Uh, after stacking a few stories, then it becomes restrictive in terms of operating costs. Uh, what we did is then we started uh, looking at uh, alternative spaces to unlock. And that's where, like, you know, there are different types of vertical farms that can exist. So you have rooftop farms, you have greenhouses, uh, you have uh, locations within buildings uh, which are closer to customers. So all those type of technologies exist. Uh, today, vertical farming has come to a point where in the last six years, there's been a tremendous amount of uh, work that has been put in to bring the technology to make it more affordable. So there's no dearth of um, equipment available. Now, the, the key is that, you know, like farming is... Uh, at the end of the day, it's still farming. You can make it more efficient. You can add all the uh, sensors and uh, controlled environment and all those things will eventually yield you a product which may be more efficient uh, in terms of growing process, but it's still iterative. It's repetitive. It's hard work. Um, so when we look at spaces, I mean, HDB rooftops, the rooftop model is different from what we do. Uh, we are a controlled environment farm, so we are not dependent on any external factors whatsoever. And the reason why that's important for us is because we see that uh, globally, temperature, weather, uh, weather patterns, uh, there's too much uncertainty in supply chains and, uh, and, in, and in outside conditions to be able to get like right crop output. So we decided that, look, we're going to be not dependent on heat and humidity of Singapore. We're going to be growing in a completely closed loop environment, which is more sustainable, we feel. And that's why our yields and our production is much higher than the traditional vertical farm. And for us, I think that's uh, the biggest um, uh, advantage. Oh, thank you for your insights. So just to recap, you know, your tech, uh, your tech involves a modular planting system you that's know, right. that uses tech to ensure efficient plant growth while taking up minimal space, which is perfect for Singapore and its potential to hit its potential to achieve food security. Right. And, you know, he brings us to our next question, you know, what, how has your story been so far? What kind of partnerships have you, have you made? Have you made? Absolutely. You know, with Seeds Capital, Enterprise Singapore, some of the big names. Sure. So, um, you know, we have, um, our journey has been almost uh, six years. For me, it's been three years in the space. I'm, uh, my tradition, my core business actually is in uh, seed genetics, seed production, uh, crop protection. And that's more in horizontal traditional farms. So when I looked at this space uh, in 2017, I actually met the owner, uh, the original founder of Body Veggies. His name is Vera. He's a botanist. And he showed me his systems and I was very intrigued. Uh, the reason that is because at the same time, I was trying to create an organic food supply chain uh, to be able to feed into the cities. And uh, for that, I visited many different farms and countries to be able to get that kind of uh, access. Um, so I struggled because it was tough to actually get uh, the product to the customer because of the inefficient chains and logistical costs involved. And also there's no guarantee on the organic nature of the product. 
so when I saw the container system, I was intrigued because uh, it allows you to control every aspect. And when you give a product to the customer, you are very confident of your uh, of the quality and the consistency and the fact that it's free of any pesticides. Uh, so for me, that was a starting point. And then I became a 50% partner in the company. Uh, and uh, what we did is that at that t- time, we were trying to scale. I knew containers would be difficult to scale. So the Singapore government reali- was also promoting um, the development of these food clusters. So they uh, there was a land uh, tender in 2017 uh, in which we participated and we got awarded a two hectare plot of land and it was a fixed price basis. So we actually had uh, the most prohibitive cost of trying to scale and becoming a high tech urban farm is the land in Singapore. And uh, it was a fixed price cost for us. So we, we paid around $300,000 for it one time for a 20 year lease. Now that changed the economics of being able to farm at scale. And uh, that's when I we really got excited. And so in 2018, we also met our uh, partners-to-be, uh, this company from China called Sanan Bio. Now, Sanan Bio is one of the leaders in the vertical farming space. And uh, after almost five months of negotiations with them, uh, they took a stake in our company uh, up to 25%. So I'm very fortunate to have partners which have a technical background and an equipment background. Uh, and also, they are one of the best producers of LEDs, which are a very crucial input in vertical farming. So the spectrum and intensity of lights plays a very big swing factor in terms of your overall production and efficiency. Uh, so with uh, so three of us now, then we have this um, two-hectare plot and we're working very closely with the government agencies to lay the foundation for the sector for the long term. And that means that, okay, yes, we are first movers and for that, uh, we, uh, we have to deal with some uh, regulatory issues, probably more so than the than the next round of tenderers. Um, but uh, I think that's important to do because being a pioneer in the space and being able to create the rules and regulations for an effective food production hub uh, are extremely crucial for Singapore to meet its targets of uh, 30 by 30. Thanks for your answer. So, wow, Verdi Veggies has definitely come a long way. And in the past three years, this, is, this has been your experience with the company. which brings And that brings us to our next question. What can be achieved more broadly across, you know, the vertical farming sector in the next three to five years. And, you know, t- let's keep in mind the 2030, 30 by 30 goal. Sure. How will Verti Veggies be part of this? Growth story. Yeah, I think the, uh, so it's important to realize that vertical farming is just at the, it's just about to become into, I mean, there's a long, long way to go. There's a lot of innovation that needs to be done for us. Research is, the, at the heart of what we're trying to do. Uh, there will be lots of uh, opportunities in uh, developing seeds, uh, which are more suitable for indoor farms. There'll be a lot of opportunities in uh, LED efficiency. There'll be uh, hardware systems, market market understanding, product understanding. Uh, consumers will be more uh, inclined to produce food that's grown from an indoor source once the understanding takes place of uh, you know the safety and security surrounding uh, indoor farming. So uh, I think uh, the next three to five years will have more innovation. It's important to know that, you know, the, the vertical farming is, is sounds uh, very, um, well, different and challenging. By the end of the day, it's a process that needs to be followed like any business. So for me, like I look at it less as a... Um, as a more as a tech play, but for me, it's more of a food manufacturing play. Uh, to be able to 
get the numbers right to make sure that your capital costs and your operating costs are in line uh, are so important in this because if your yields and the product quality or the grade out actually are not um, making sense, then eventually you'll be, you know, it's like a slow death. You're going to be digging a hole for yourself and uh, it's not easy. And that's where a lot of new entrants are coming in without the knowledge of biological sciences and the agronomic knowledge that's required to support um, uh, a vertical farming facility. And that's when I encourage, like, make sure that, like, you, uh, anyone who's looking to enter this space, it's very important to uh, make sure you have the right technology and also the right um, botanical knowledge. Because at the end of the day, you're still growing plants, and plants need a lot of care, and nothing is going to be fully automated. Um, and uh, that's where the research and innovation will take place in the next three to five years, and uh, and that's how the sector will grow. Fantastic, and I totally agree with your point because when we talk about um, coming in with the good know-how with the good knowledge i can give an example of beyond meat so they're making plant-based protein but sure. it's not it's been proven to not exactly be that good for you for your health and now people are coming up with new other new tech with uh, plant-based protein that are actually beneficial for not only the health of people but the environment and you know this brings me to my next point i'm afraid that you know, one of the fears I'm having is that vertical farming, maybe it will consume more resources than it would actually help, you know, uh, when we compare it to, you know, uh, old traditional farming. How can you assure that? Okay, so that's a very good question. So you have, um, you know, if we blue sky, think 10, 20, 30 years ahead, um, horizontal farming has certain products, traditional land-based farming has products which are much more efficient to produce uh, in in in. In a, in a geoponic system, so soil-based system. And uh, that's basically, you have your staples, you have your cereals, you have your rice, your wheat, which, and there are certain products which are inherently more efficient, which are the perishable crops, which can grow on an indoor vertical farm. So in our case, uh, we have, uh, we, we are able to increase the intensity of production because of course we stack vertically, but uh, our products and our crop maturity days are so much lower. So from a given area, we can produce almost 75 to 120 times more uh, area for area in terms of uh, with the compared to an additional um, traditional farm. Uh, so that kind of efficiency is required to be able to offset the higher costs. And when we bring a farm and the far, the production, the food production closer to the point of consumption, we do away with all the supply chains and the inefficiencies. And of course, today, food wastage is extremely important theme in Singapore. NEA has launched a Say Yes to Wasteless campaign. And uh, when we think about the wastage in food, when it comes from 150 different countries into Singapore, by the time it reaches here, the quality and the uh, qual uh, the quality and the 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 final shelf life that's available for, for the consumer is dramatically reduced. Yes, and that's a very good point to make because um, I'm reading over here that tech such as indoor multi-story LED lighting can you know, produce 10 to 15 times more than traditional outfits. And you know that brings us back to our 2030 goal and it's been called ambitious, the 30 by 30 goal. What are your thoughts about it? Can Singapore actually meet this goal and how would it do that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the creation of an ecosystem. So they start, it's very important to get the talent in. So in terms of training uh, the institutes of higher learning and the polys to be able to get the next generation of uh, f- uh, manpower in is, is, is a very crucial component. Uh, the financing ecosystem has to kick in to be able to understand what, um, uh, how local, how vertical farming can actually um, uh, make a return and be able to uh, get leverage. Uh, and then you also need to ensure that um, the consumer and the market is able to accept uh, products which are grown in Singapore. The Singapore products traditionally are not considered premium for whatever reason. But uh, now with the homegrown produce and the love homegrown produce uh, 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 that Singapore is actually embarking on, and uh, working very closely with the health promotion board, there's a sticker that you'll see in produce in the supermarkets. And that's when the ecosystem has to come together, including the retailers, to show that local production, local food is far more um, um, nutritious and uh, better for families. Let's end things with, you know, the upcoming Asia-Pacific Agri-Food Innovation Week from November 20th to 22nd. And I heard you're going to be a speaker there. Yeah, absolutely. I was there last year. Last year was their first event and uh, they did a very good job of uh, bringing together the entire ecosystem. So in Asia, food and agri have traditionally not been... um, have not had technology associated with it. And when Rethink has uh, come in and there are new conferences that are coming in that are actually bringing together people from all parts of the world to show what uh, Southeast Asia has, uh, Singapore is positioned itself to be a food and nutrition hub. And uh, that's the benefit of being in Singapore. That's why I live in Singapore is because you get access to uh, good people, uh, good network to be able to grow, collaborate. And uh, Rethink is, uh, we are also exhibiting at Rethink this year. So we'll be showing our plant genetics and urban farming technology. And uh, anyone who hasn't signed up, encourage them to do (laughs) so to make sure that uh, you're there to uh, to get a glimpse of what technology and what technology can do in food and agri. Great. I'm really looking forward to hearing from you at the Rethink event coming up. Thanks, Joseph. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for your time. Sure. So, Jenny, what do you think is an important feature of a startup ecosystem? What is important for them to have in terms of resources and how do you look to support them? Yeah, oh, I think there's several aspects to that. I think um, uh, there needs to be a supportive uh, regulatory environment created by the government. So I think that that's a really important aspect. Um, I think be a really strong R&D base um, with lots of uh, research institutions that are kind of open for, for collaboration and, and partnership with, with startups and with corporates. Um, I think having a really strong uh, corporate center is also really essential. I mean, what we see in terms of some of the most successful startups um, are the ones who've partnered with um, large agri-food corporates um, to uh, trial and scale their their products. So I think having that that center is essential. And then I think also really an active uh, venture capital community, um, again, um, who who are interested and looking to invest in agri-food startups. I think that's really critical too. I love to hear that, Jenny. That, that was so inspiring. And, you know, speaking of inspiration, what sort of advice do you have for startups and investors in this growing innovation hub, Singapore? Opportunities, challenges, you know, or ways of working? 
Um, well, I think what, what's been exciting to see is how quickly things have moved in Singapore over the, over the last few years. Um, there's you know, fantastic support from the government agencies, including the SFA, the EDB, Enterprise Singapore, ASTAR. So I think it's a you know, really exciting time, really exciting um, moment, really, for, for the industry. Um, I think, you know, I think what, what we're also seeing as well, we're seeing a number of um, new investment funds uh, setting up in Singapore and also some sort of accelerators. Um, I think if you're a startup looking to do business in Singapore, I think it's all about sort of making those connections with the right government agencies who can help you and give you advice in terms of, you know, um, setting up an R&D facility or an office in Singapore. I think it's about where the opportunities um, for investment, so making connections with some of those VC funds, with, with the accelerators, seeing what kind of programs are on offer that could perhaps help you kind of get where you need to be faster. Um, I think the thing is really identifying sort of your, your customer and your market and really looking at is that a, is that the a customer within Singapore? Or are you looking to use Singapore as a launch pad to um, export across um, Asia and globally and really kind of looking at who you need to help you access that market? Is it is it retailers within Singapore? Is it perhaps some you know, of the major agri-food businesses that have the right distribution networks across Asia who can help you get your product to market across Asia and start putting in place those partnerships? That That's a really good answer, Jenny. And, you know, speaking of accelerators, uh, yeah, we... We were just part of, we're one half of the Grow Accelerator, which has just, you know, launched in September. So lots of interesting talent has come to our shores. And, mm. you know, looking forward in this, in November, we have the Asia Pacific Agri-Food Innovation Week. Mm. You know, everyone is under one roof. What sort of key outcomes and benefits are you hoping, you know, for day two specifically? Well, ab- absolutely. So... The, the goal of the, the whole event, the whole Asia-Pacific Agri-Food Innovation Week is to accelerate technology and investment in, in Asia's agri-food uh, value chain by bringing together startups, corporates and investors to not only identify the, the greatest opportunities, but also to form those partnerships and collaborations that are going to help um, some of that technology get to market. Um, the, the central day of the event is actually dedicated to these three pillars of Singapore's food security strategy. So the um, uh, vertical farming, cell-based meat and aquaculture. Um, and I'm really looking forward to hearing not just what startups are doing, but how the government is supporting the sector and how investors and the big agri-food brands are partnering with startups to fast track their, their commercialization. So I think what we'll see on site is we'll see lots of exciting connections taking place. Um, as John Dean earlier it's about the networking um and i think we'll, we'll really um see a lot of those those partnerships begin to take root and flourish while we're on site at the summit great and let's just end our little conversation with how how you know interested parties out there how would they get in get involved in this event yeah, absolutely. I mean, if any of the listeners would like to get involved, you can find out more information at um, agrifoodinnovation.com. There's still opportunities to get involved in maybe uh, exhibiting products at the summit or just coming along and taking part. It's three days of, of kind of packed events. We've not only got the conference sessions, but also lots of networking events, uh, specialised breakfast briefings. And we have sort of one-to-one meetings that take place throughout the summit. So that's all, all available and all the details are at agrifoodinnovation.com. Thank you, Jenny. That was Jenny Moss, Managing Director at Rethink Events. And um, 
that it's a wrap. My name is uh, Joe Gan, and I'm senior reporter at AgFunded News, and it's been a pleasure hosting the, this podcast with you guys. You have been listening to the Asia-Pacific Agri-Food Innovation Week podcast. To join three full days of insights and networking for the Asian agri-food ecosystem, visit us at www.agrifoodinnovation.com or find us on LinkedIn and Facebook.